research that's done in our culture in America. And the research states that the population of prisons and jails, the addictions and the belongings to gangs are all directly related to the absence of a father. In the research, you can actually remove a woman from the equation as long as children still have a male figure or a father in the home, the child fares better. They don't hit the statistics. It doesn't mean that a wife or a mother or a grandmother is not an important value in the home. It means that a man carries the authority and the significance that develops both the male and the female as they grow up. And that is just across the board the truth. Fellas, never downplay your role as a man. Everything in your future is not connected to your wife, it's connected to you. And how you respond. And what it is to be a man. It is a little challenging to talk about this today because how do you blanket sweep every man in the room? So what I would like to do is talk to you about something I've worked out myself. I've never taught this anywhere. So today you're getting it for the first time here. The typical when you talk about men, we go to Ephesians and we tell men to love their wives and how men ought to be. And I'm good. I've taught all that. But what God laid on my heart today is very significant to this room. You're here for a reason. So what hopefully is said is going to touch you and it's going to challenge you because I'm going to baseline what it means to be a man. I'm going to baseline it, not what culture says a man is. Not what the world says a man is, not what your father said it was or your mother, but what the Bible says that a man should be. And when that man becomes everything the Bible says he should be, out of that comes what we would say would be a fruitful life. So to talk about sex or money or communication, the things we would talk about when we talk about family, raising your children, until we baseline what it means to be a man, To me, everything beyond that conversation is futile until we talk this out. We have to discuss this moment of what it means, guys, of what God wants in our life. I will say as we get into it that I did not do it perfectly. I think we all would agree the only perfect person that lived it was Jesus I've said a few weeks ago about Robin and I, we did not get where we got, which is still married after 33 years. All four of our children serve Jesus. They're all passionately pursuing the kingdom of God. But we did not get there haphazardly. We got there very intentionally. And I've had people ask me, what did you do as a dad? Tell me what you did with your kids. And as I would think that through, I would think, oh gosh, what did I do? Like... All right, I don't know. I mean, I really had to think about it because this may sound trite. I do not mean it such. I've never sat down with my kids and done a devotion long term. I will read the Bible to them occasionally. I never had family prayer time where we gathered the kids together and said, all right, it's prayer time. Let's all pray. Not against any of that. I just never did that. And so when I look back and go, how did I end up with four daughters that all serve God? When I didn't do family devotions, we didn't do family communions, 
I don't, I mean, I genuinely try to go, what did I do? Because I don't know. And so I've wrestled with what is it that made us successful? Is it luck? I don't believe that. Is it, what was it? it, it I, I literally try to put my finger on it. And so as I was prepping to talk to the fellas today, I took some time to just say, God, what can I share? And I want to share from my heart what I've lived out. And I think because I've lived it out, I bear the fruit that what I share with you is not just a sermon, but it has potential to shift things for you as a man. And I want to share with what I grabbed onto and I've held on to. Again, I, I give the disclaimer that I've had my share of ups and downs. I've had my share of sins and failures and successes. But at the end of the day, I stand here, what I would think has been successful to what God wants for my life and my children and my wife and my family. And I'd like to share it with you today. Let's jump into it if you don't mind. Turn in your Bibles if you want to follow along to Genesis chapter 2. I thought what would be the best place to go to define a man? You definitely don't need to go to Google. You'll, <laughs> you'll find a woman there. <laughs> you would have ever thought we would be this confused, but obviously we are. I have no clue. So rather than trying to define a man based on culture or based on upbringing or religious preferences or even, you know, how societies could define a man. Every culture has what men are. If, if you go back to the 1960s and 70s, you know, the early 50s and 60s, you kind of get the swag of the clubs, you get the Frank Sinatras, you move into the 70s, you get the Clint Eastwoods and the John Waynes and the, you know, you get the BB Keys, you get the, you come into, uh, you know, men today, we weigh 92 pounds and think we're women. It's just a weird culture. So how do you define, well, if we're not careful, culture does that. So what I want to do is go to the Bible. Before there was a woman, before there was a bill, a problem, before there were children, in-laws, before there was cheating, before there was mistresses, before there was all the things that define who we are as men, before there was jobs, before there was investments, before there was home mortgage payments and car payments. We go all the way back to the very first guy that God ever made. Before there was another human, there was one human, and he was known as Adam. We pick up the story here. Now God planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed and the Lord God made all kind of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And from there it separated into four headwaters and the name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. And the name of the second one is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. When I read this, it intrigued my thinking in all the years I've studied the Bible. It, because I'm like, okay, why do you introduce me to your greatest creation? Man, Adam. And then right after you say, I, I took man and put him in a garden, you give me this geographical oddity of all these rivers. 
If you go Google Eden today, biblical Eden, uh, Google will give you all various ways of where they think or scholars think Eden could have been. And they'll always say, well, there's the four rivers, and so they'll go off these rivers. And, but I don't know that God put this in the Bible so that we could have a Google map to try to define where Eden was. As I thought about it, I believe God planted the man in a garden and then said, out of the garden came a forehead river. And it gave the names of the river, the Tigris, the Pishon, the Gihon, and the Euphrates. And so as I thought about that, this is the thought that I came up with. What significance do these four rivers have on the meaning of a man? Because if they don't have any significance, why put it in the Bible? Because it's really not even possible to be used for geography because once the flood happens, all of the world is turned around anyway, so we wouldn't matter. But they're left in the Bible, and I highlighted the two words because this is one thing I know of all the years I've met with men, counseled men, and have been a man. Every man comes to a place of looking for significance and meaning. We find it in all kinds of ways. We find the significance and meaning in things. We really don't even think about significance or meaning until we hit middle age. And usually, statistically, at middle age, we hit what's called the midlife crisis. You would think in your 20s it would never arrive, but it always arrives. It's that moment in time where you think, has my life been worth it? Is this what I'm alive to do? Because you've been working 40, 50 hours a week, you now have the houses and the mortgage payments and some kids and you're running ragged trying to keep life going. You're juggling all the things of life. And then suddenly something kicks in one night, perhaps you're laying in bed and you begin to think, is this what it's about? You're tired. Is it about retirement, a better job, more money? getting the kids through college, what is it? But I do know this, every male that I've ever talked with, I have never met one yet that is not in some way chasing significance and meaning. They may do it through sex, how many sex partners they've had. If you don't believe that's true, go to your local high school and watch how they begin to talk about how many notches they have for how many girls they've slept with. And this is high school. Meaning and significance. Maybe it shows up in a new house. Maybe it shows up, I need a new car. I need a new Harley Davidson. I need a new woman. I need a new girlfriend. I need a new, I need whatever it is that's going to help me find meaning. We start juggling it around, chasing things. We get busy. We get burned out. So my question as I read that chapter was what significance do these four rivers have to my meaning as a man? And I really tried to dig it out like it would have to be there for a purpose. And so this is what I came up with. The four rivers that are listed out are the Pishon, Gihon, Tigris, and Euphrates. Pishon means increase. Gihon means bursting forth. Tigris means rapid. And Euphrates means fruitfulness. 
so that in our language translated from how they are in the Hebrew, God planted that man in a place to show us that when you're planted in God, your life will burst forth rapidly with fruitfulness. It was God's intent. God wanted every human male species to know that you don't increase because you got a new job. You don't burst forth because you lost 20 pounds. You are not fruitful because you amass things in life. There was nothing to amass. There's no cars. There's no houses. There's no job. But God planted the man in a place with the rivers flowing out that are a rapid increase of fruitfulness that bursts forth. Because God's original intent for a man, his original thinking for a man is that when a man is planted in God, his life is fruitful. You're not fruitful in God's eyes just because you have the cars and the houses and the watches. I I know people that will buy $30,000 watches. That's their fruitfulness. They'll drive $90,000 cars. That's their fruitfulness. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with it. If you have the money, enjoy it. But God wanted you to know a truly fruitful life because the car will rust. The watch will be passed down to one of your children. Your money will be divided up between everybody. But a fruitful life is a man that's been planted in God. And so I shared this with all of us that I'm I'm not here today because I'm special or I, I had some luck in life. I just know from the time I was a young boy, I wanted, I wanted to please God. I genuinely wanted to please God. I remember as a little boy, my brother was walking, he was four years older than me, he was out front yard with his friends, and he walked by, and um, he was talking to me, and we were, he was kind of mouthing off, I was probably six, he's mouthing off at me, and he said, oh yeah, you little, you little sissy, and I said, oh yeah, you little pissy, and he said, oh, I'm telling mama. Well, I have a Pentecostal mother. That's, that's going to hell if you say that word. It just came out of me like butter. I, I has a demon or something. I don't know. And so my brother, my brother says, I'm telling mama. I said, no, don't tell mama. I'm going to tell mama. He said, here's what we'll do. You have to empty the trash for me for three months or I'm telling mom. So I said, deal, I'll empty the trash for three months. If you won't tell mother, I said, pissy. He said, deal. We shook on it. I'm six, right? I'm already gambling. Six-year-old gambler. I don't know how I ended up a preacher. Well, he walked off with a very arrogant, I got my brother to empty trash for me. I went up to my room and something in me had this, I just cut a bad deal. I'm more afraid of my brother. I'm now slave to my brother than my mother. I do not want to be slave to my brother. So I don't know if God came in that room that day, but I thought I'd rather deal with mother than brother. And so I walked downstairs. My mother was in the kitchen, 105 Cleveland Court, and she was cooking. And I walked up to my mother and I said, Mother, yes, 
I said, I just need to say something. She said, yes. I said, I said a bad word and Gary heard me and I just wanted to tell you I said it. She said, well, she didn't even ask me what I said, thank God. <laughs> she said, well, just tell the Lord you're sorry, it'll be okay. And so I was like, wow. So I went, yes. And so I ran over to my brother because I thought that was it. Just tell the Lord you're sorry. But she was teaching me as even a young boy who was hungry to tell on himself, who was hungry to say I'm wrong. As a young boy, I wanted to be planted in God. My dad started pastoring and I didn't hate church. I loved it. I, I showed up. I would clean and set chairs. I, I had this thing in my heart that I just wanted to please God. I wanted to hear God say he loved me. I hit 17 years old and I started having sex with my girlfriend on Friday nights. I'd get drunk with the boys, have sex with my girlfriend and come to church on Sunday going, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to live this way. I love you so much. I, I don't want to do this. And I would repeat the cycle. God, I love you so much. I don't want to do this. I would repeat the cycle. But in the repeating of the cycle, which is about a year or plus of my life, in repeating that cycle, I always found myself running back to God. I always found myself running back going, God, I'm so sorry. I just want to, I don't want to make you proud. I, I just, so let me say something to you girls. When Robin and I met, she didn't marry me, a man in a bar. I wasn't some addict coming off the street. I was hungry for God. I wanted God. Fellas, the best thing I can tell you is I can't want God for you. You have to want God. I, I can give you books all day long. I can tell you stories all day long. But sometime in your life, you've got to suck it up and determine if you want a fruitful life, you've got to plant your life in God. That means when things fall apart, you don't run 90 other places. You run back to God. That means when you've had a terrible day, you run to God, not the bottle. You've had a terrible week in your marriage. You run to God, not a mistress. You had a terrible year of sex. You run to God instead of pornography. You've had a terrible day at work. You run to God instead of anger. You've had a terrible experience with a boss and a friend, but you run to God instead of all the negativity and the bitterness. That's what it means to be planted in God. I'm not telling you I was by any means remotely perfect. I joke that if God's grading me, I probably got a C plus. I'm passing. I hope. But I am telling you, when I begin to notice my life wasn't well, I always, I don't know why, I always just ran to God. And I can tell you why. I mean, I sit there and say, I don't know why, but I do know why. It can sound a little arrogant. I know why. Because I was raised in a home where that man ran to God every time there was a problem. And he probably didn't know I was watching him do that. He probably didn't know I was watching how he talked to his, his wife, my mother. And when he came home and the money was low, how he would press to God. And when he came home and somebody stole my bike and he said, I don't have enough money right now to get you another bike. I watched him plan into God. And when he didn't have enough money to buy me tennis shoes, he ran to God. 
all the time he ran. He never had a book. He never said, son, I'm going to run to God. I just watched him as a kid. I watched how he responded. I watched him respond to frustrations rather than cussing and kicking things and threatening mother with divorce. He would run to God. He would open his Bible. He would look for truth. He would look for answers. And I'd just sit there and watch him. Sometimes I'd think he's dumb. He, he, what? The the toilet doesn't flush and he prays over it. The washer quit working and he laid hands on the washing machine and anointed the washing machine with oil. What kind of man anoints a washing machine with oil? The dog got sick. We don't have money to go to the vet. Bring the oil. He anointed the German shepherd with oil. You call that crazy. I call it a man planted in God. And the man planted in God birthed another man planted in God. He never came to me and said, son, you need to plant your life in God. I just watched him do it. And now that he's 86, my dad ain't sitting at home retired. He's not on some golf course today on a Sunday. He's sitting on the front row in the house of God. He still gives. He still works. He still ties. He still reads his Bible. He's a man planted in God and he bears a fruitful life. His children serve the Lord. His grandchildren serve the Lord. His great grandchildren serve the Lord. Oh, fellas, never think that planting your life in God does not pay off. And one day I will pass the baton to someone else to do this. And I'll sit on that same chair. If God doesn't come back, he will be in the ground and I will take his place in that chair. And I will sit in that chair as a man of God planted by God from another man of God trying to plant another man of God. Fellas, we don't need any more negativity, whining, pitiful men. We need men that are planted in God. I don't need another man to run to the bottle and run to the pornography and run to all the crap we run to and then wonder why the kids don't serve God. Who wants to serve God when you don't even run to God? Why do I want to serve God? You, you come here and sing, but you go home. You don't, you don't want to plan it in God. You drop F-bombs. You cuss. You're mad all the time. You scream at mom. You got side chicks on the side. Come on, fellas. Nobody wants to follow that. There's nothing inspiring to be addicted to porn. There's nothing inspiring about being an addict. There's nothing inspiring at all about chasing women, working 50, 60 hours while your kids never see you. There's something greatly inspiring about a man that's planted in God. And it doesn't matter where you work, you can be planted in God. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can be planted in God. I have never counseled a kid, never have I counseled a child on my couch and typically would start about age eight up. Never have I counseled a kid that said, oh man, my dad just loved God too much. Every time there was a problem, he prayed. I don't know why, it just makes me so ticked off. Treated my mother like gold. Oh God. 
Every time I fell apart, he prayed for me, forgave me. I've never had that. I've had my dad call me fat. My dad was never there. My dad screamed at my mom. My dad worked all the time. Fellas, work all you want to. But until you determine to be planted in God, I dare say you'll have a great fruitful life. You'll waste your life. You'll spend your life. And you may end with a lot of money and a lot of stuff, but as soon as you're gone, we will divvy it up and parse it out. And we do that not very well. It's why we have wills, because we're going to fight over it. So we have to get lawyers involved. So by the time you die, we got lawyers involved for your fruitfulness. That's enough of that one. That's point one. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, ladies, you should be elbowing. I don't see any women elbowing. I know why you're not. You're like, oh my God, he's going to talk to me next week. I know he's going to go to Genesis. What's he going to say? I've got to be naked. I don't know. But the godly will flourish like palm trees. They'll grow strong like cedar, Psalm 92, for they're transplanted in the Lord's house and they'll flourish in the courts of the Lord God. Next verse, even in old age. Come on, somebody. Come on, old people. Come on, old people. Even in old age, they produce fruit. That means when you're planted in God, you're 86 years old, still producing fruit. Oh, he can't hit it that far, but he can still hit it right down the middle. Hey, it's a tight fairway. Put Gene in. He'll hit it right down the middle. Oh, us ego guys are nine courses over. Can't find our ball. He's just right down the middle. He'll pick a, he'll pick a wood right down the middle, 20 yards. He'll get another right down the middle, 20 yards. By the time we get there, we've lost nine balls and dad's just waiting on us. It says, for they will declare. In other words, they didn't get to the end of their life bitter. They didn't get to the end of their life mad. They will declare the Lord is just and he is my rock. Oh, come on, somebody. That was a Pentecostal amen. He is my rock. So what is the significance of a man? The significance of a man is a man that makes God his rock. It's a man that finds strength in God. It's a man that realized I've already tried the booze, man. I've already tried the medicines. I've already tried the stuff. I've tried the women. I've tried the things. I've tried it all. And I've come to the end of myself. Exactly what Solomon said. It's all futile. But oh, I have found my rock. I will say this about my life. I again don't attest to be perfect. But oh, when I hit bottom, I know where to go. When I have a bad day, I know where to run. When I feel like tapping out, going, God, man, I'm so tired. When your wife gets cancer, when your grandbaby gets CF, when you're just breaking out in a rash, you just, just a rough two years. Oh, God. Well, we found Mark down on Fulton Industrial with a hooker. Well, you know, he had a hard year. I bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. I didn't run to Fulton Industrial. I'm smarter than that, by the way. I had to run to God. 
when I was hurting, I had to go to God. I had to cry it out. I had to, I had to say to him many times, many times. I know it, if, so I feel so weak saying it to you, but it's true. Many times I would lay in bed and go, where are you? God, I serve you. Where are you? Why don't you answer my prayers? Why? And after I would pout a minute and he wouldn't kill me, I think he would just sit there and go hurry up and finish. And, and then I always wait on him to go, so let me ask you some questions. I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't want to meet that God. I don't want the God that knows where all the snow is kept. You have to read Job to know that one. But at the end of my crying, at the end of my frustration, I'd say, oh, but God, I trust you. That's right. I don't know why, but I trust you. I don't know the hell I'm going through right now. And if I was you, I'd change it. But you're not. But I'm okay. I trust you. You are my rock, oh God. You are the one I call out to. You are my song. You are my joy. You are my strength. You are my everything. Fellas, if you want to be a great man, you need to determine where do you run when all hell breaks loose. Because the last thing a wife needs is trying to call Uber to get you out of a club. The last thing your wife needs is some chick showing up with a baby on the front steps. That's the last thing she needs. And I've never met a woman yet. Oh, God, pray for me, Pastor. He reads his Bible and lives it. Oh, he lives it. He gives his money. That ticks me off. Oh, he gives 10%. Oh, he's so kind to me. Never. It's always like, preacher, I call him cheating. Preacher, he's addicted to porn. Preacher, he's addicted to drugs. Preacher, preacher, preacher. Because men are chasing not the rock and women are marrying the dirt. And we want to know why families are falling apart. Because you didn't marry a rock, you married a lump of mud. So girls, if he ain't chasing the rock, don't let him put a rock on it. the best rap I had. Yo, man. <laughs> I ain't got a bit of soul, but yo, you know what I'm saying? Let's go back. Let's finish it up. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper just right for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds there, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Again, crazy. I, I try to dissect this and go, okay, so you make a dude, you put him in with river, and then you tell me before you make a woman, you parade all the animals in front of him, and he just gets to name them all, and whatever he names them, that's what they are. That's a lot of trust from God, because the first one comes by, and he's like, oh, that's a big neck, big neck, big neck. I don't like that, and God's up there going, oh, come on, pick something good. Giraffe, yes, giraffe. Big fat thing comes by with big ears. He's like, big ears, fat big ears. And God's like, oh, come on, you got it. And he's like, elephant, 
elephant. Yes, yes. I mean, can you imagine? You got to name every animal, and whatever you name it, that's what it's called. I can tell you where this animal came. Adam's tired. He's been all day. Hippopotamus. Beaver. Labrador retriever. Oh, tiger, a lion, a liger. This is the end of the day, and he's just worn out. He's just he, he's, he's exhausted his animal resources, and just this thing comes by, and he goes, duckbill platypus, and just walks off. You know the duckbill platypus was the very last thing Adam ever named. It doesn't look like a duck. I don't even know what a platypus is. It looks like a beaver, but it's a duck. It's like, what? And yet God let him do it. Here's why I know this to be true. The tongue can bring life or death, but you'll reap the consequences of it. Then this, if you ever want to deep dive the well, uh, Proverbs 15, gentle words are a tree of life. Anybody want to tell me what the other tree was in the garden? The tree of life. Here's what I found a significance of a man is. A significant man fashions his life with his words. Your words have power, fellas. How you talk to your wife, how you talk to your children has power. Your future is in your words. Oh, come on. It, it might sound religious, but it's biblically true. I told you at the beginning that my children, I never did devotions with them. I rarely spent time in prayer circles. We never did family communion. We never went outside and blow chofars and go, oh, Jesus. We just live life. But I want to tell you why I believe my children are where they are today with God. Because as a father, though I know I did not do everything right, and though I have some things that I am ashamed of, I've had some things I've had to sit down in front of my girls and apologize for that I messed up and I'm very sorry. I would like you to forgive me. I did the best I could do in the, in the time that I was doing it. But one thing from the time they were born until about a week and a half ago, I realized that the greatest thing I could do as a father is speak life over my children. And that whatever I would speak, they would become. So I wrote out this and I spoke it over them every night. I would walk into their rooms while they were asleep and as a father, I would lay my hands on their head. It started from the time they came out of their mother's belly up until a few weeks ago with my 17-year-old daughter when I walked into the room and I laid my hands on her. My daughter, Victoria Kate, had one of her friends come over a few weeks ago and uh, she's pregnant and getting married and she was in the room and I walked up in the room. This is her friend. I walked in the room, her friend said, ooh, ooh, bless me. So I put my hand on both of those girls, both in their 20s, 24. And this is what I spoke over my girls every day. I bless you with long life, perfect health. You will serve Jesus all the days of your life. You'll love your mama, your daddy, and your sisters forever. You'll meditate on the word of God day and night. Have the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Your life will please God in all you do. The angels of God will keep you in all your ways. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think your daddy's wonderful. You think I'm wonderful? You posted today on Instagram I was wonderful. I'll Venmo you some money later. 
You'll prosper in all you do. I felt sorry. So number 12, you'll think your mama's wonderful. She already is. You'll make wise, godly choices. You'll live in divine protection. Your life will be filled with the glory of the presence of the Lord. You'll love your Bible. When it comes time to choose, you'll choose the kingdom of God. You'll delight yourself in the Lord as truth will be your hope. The joy of the Lord will put a smile upon your face. The blood of Jesus will be your righteousness. I bless you with a thousand million blessings. You'll appreciate all God has given you. You'll live out your eternal purposes. Each day will be a new day of God's grace. You'll recognize and accept the things of God. You'll have no fear. Every day will be a happy day. You'll cast all your cares on Jesus for he cares for you. All of your thoughts will be pure and holy. God will always help you in a time of need. His kingdom come, his will be done in your life as it is in heaven. You'll never be frustrated. You'll always be thankful. You'll live in perfect peace and contentment all the days of your life and you'll never lack a thing and you'll have God's favor always. I spoke that over my daughter over and over and over and over and over every single night of her life as a child. All the time. And at their weddings, when I give them away, I stand there and say, I'm going to bless you one last time. And when they walk in the door and they're crying, they've had a bad day. A boy has hurt them. They've had a hard day at work. They flunked the test. Life isn't good. And they sit down and they're like, Daddy. <laughs> I'm like, what is it, honey? And they'll tell me their problem. They'll tell me the woe. And I, I listen to the best I can as a man. It's impossible sometimes. But I listen. And then when I'm done, I say, honey, remember, you're to live your blessing and not your problem. I want my children to know you're the product of the blessing of your father, not the product of the world. You're the product of your father's blessing, not what your friends think about you and your exes think about you and what culture thinks about you. You are the women of the Lord God Almighty. You are the righteousness of God Almighty. And everything in your life will come to pass fruitful because your father has blessed you. And if you say, I never had that, well, I can let you borrow mine. I'll come over to your house and bless you. That might be a little weird. What's the preacher doing up there in mama's room? Blessing her. Oh. Fellas. So don't act like you, you're like, well, I wish I had that. You can have that. You can have it. Don't be a victim. You can start today. You can start with number one. Well, preacher said, bless you. So, uh, bless you. Just start there. And then every time they whine, you're the blessing, not the problem. That's the significance of a man. He watches his words. One thing I will tell you about my daughters, I'm a hundred percent certain they have never heard me speak evil and trash their mother. I will never, ever allow out of my mouth to come anything derogatory toward my bride. Ever. I will tell the dog. Like, come here. Let me give you a few more and I'll let you go. So the Lord God calls the man to fall in a deep sleep. Why? Because men are stubborn. Why? Because no man would have ever thought to fashion a woman. We wouldn't have chose that. So God puts him to sleep, says, while the man slept, God took out of the man's ribs and closed up a woman. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And at last the man exclaimed, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And here, just like, just like, just like the animals, it wasn't God that named her. It was Adam and he called her woman. 
he labels her. He gives her the label of woman. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The significance of a man. This is going to hurt, fellas. A significant man honors a woman as the creative mind of God. And women today are not honored as the creative mind of God. Women are abused as the perverted mind of men. Because not one man would have ever dreamed up a woman. God had to put us to sleep. That's how divine a woman is. A woman is so divine that our manhood would have never dreamed up a woman. We would have never thought about it. It wasn't even something we could conceive. And so God, out of his own conception, burst this thing. He goes, that's a woman. And yet today, fellas, if you don't honor a woman, you've lost your significance. I'm not talking about just your wife. I'm talking about women in general. There's an all-out onslaught to destroy women today, to turn them into pieces of meat, to just make it all about their body, to just abuse them. Pornography and sex trade is one of the highest, most wealthiest industries of all in the world. Why? Because we've perverted the creative mind of God of women. Girls will strip their clothes off to sleep with a man. Girls will get naked and sleep with as many guys as they can. They check it off the box. How many they can have? Why? Because culture has lost the honor of a woman. And we lost honor because we took away feminism and we became feminists. We don't need a man. Yes, you do. You may not think you do, but you do because God knew you did. And I'm not talking about every woman. And I'm not saying you can't be incredible without a man. Most women are more incredible than men anyway, because we weren't doing a jack thing until you came along. But it still doesn't mean that, that men and women don't have this thing that God says, fellas, and again, I've never had a woman ever sit in my office and goes, he just treats me like a queen, <laughs> gives everything to me. He's always there. He hates feet, preacher, and he rubs my feet. <laughs> he gets up and makes me breakfast, opens my doors for me. Oh, you're not going to believe this. He gave me flowers, and it wasn't even Valentine. <laughs> Never. But I'll tell you what I, what I know to be true. I sat in the sauna at the local gym with a group of men. It was astounding to sit there and listen to five grown men in the most perverted fashion. Every one of them were married. And they were talking about how many women they had slept with that week. They were talking about their mistresses. They were talking about the women they were going to sleep with. And every one of them are laughing and cutting. Now, I don't know. Maybe they're joking. Maybe they just need that to feel important. But I'll tell you what I do know. Our culture has lost the honor of a woman. I don't even need anybody to open a door for me. Well, great. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care because I honor a woman. I don't need a man to open the door. Well, good. I'm glad you don't open it yourself, but I want to be in front of you and open it for you because I think that's awesome because I think a man ought to honor a woman and I think you should be at the front of the line and I think you should get off the boat first. I'm good with that because I know that you came from the creative mind of God and I'm not about to let culture rob me of the creative nature of who you are as a woman and you should be respected, never talked down to, never slept with unless I'm in a covenant with you because I honor you. And that is what's wrong with this world. It's hard for girls like my daughter to find a man that will honor her. 
that will want to marry her before he sleeps with her and tries to get his way with her. But yet she's kept herself to say, no, I'm going to make sure a man honors me. And yet they're becoming more rare and more rare every day. Fellas, honor a woman. Honor your wife. Never speak evil of her. She's the creative mind of God. Young men over here, women are not sex objects. They're not just given to you as a piece of meat to satisfy your lustful intentions. They're to be honored. And when you don't watch, I'm going to say this, I'll let you go. If you don't honor a woman, you're not honoring God. You do whatever you want to do with that. But if you don't honor a woman, if you don't honor your wife, you're not honoring God. The final thought, and I'm going to pray for you. And then the man, again, it's weird how this happens. So strange. After the sin, after the fall, they've lost everything. They've blown it. They've been kicked out of this beautiful place of fruitfulness and increase. And the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be. She was the mother of everything dead. Everything out of her womb is going to die. Cain's going to kill Abel. Adam didn't care. He knew the power. He said, you know what? Rather than woman, I'm going to call you Eve. Why? Because you're going to be the product of everything living. Here's the final thought of this. Hope it blesses you. A significant man lives for what can be legacy. You're on this planet for what can be. It may be a mess right now, but it can be a legacy. If you'll spend your life planted in God, and I wrote these down for you. A significant man, God is his rock. His words are his legacy. He honors women and he lives for legacy. When you do this, fellas, we can begin to craft what a family is. We can begin to craft a good marriage. Stand and let me pray for you.